0: again to the Explaining History podcast and uh, I'm going to focus tonight on looking at the use of poison gas on the Western Front, particularly in the final year of the war, uh, 1918. We're looking at David Stevenson's brilliant book, uh, With Our Backs to the Wall, we've uh, looked at David Stevenson's work um, quite a lot um, over the last couple of years and um, we're looking at um, really, how the over the three years since uh, 1915, when gas was first used, how on all sides the the technology of mass poisoning, to put it bluntly, um, had had changed. David Stevenson begins by saying, the necessary technology had evolved astonishingly rapidly since the Germans had released chlorine from cylinders to be blown by the wind in April 1915. The tonnages were now vastly greater. The principal delivery method was uh, in artillery, was via artillery, and the highest casualties came from mustard gas, which was dichlorodiphenyl sulfate, uh, or "Yperite," um, which was the French term after the, the, the battle of e- the various battles of Ypres. Um, of gas tonnage uh, employed by all sides in the war, 52% was used in the final year. And some seventeen thousand men who died from gas on the Western Front—about three percent of the total fatalities in that theatre—about uh, half died so in uh, did so in 1918. So those are some pretty astonishing stats, really. Um, that the majority of all gas fatalities happened in the last year of the war, uh, and of all gas fatalities, half of those died in in, in 1918. It gives you an indication of the con- concentration of gas use and also the intensity of fighting uh, and the, uh, the the desperation with which both sides were willing to use uh, any weapon imaginable um, in order to finally conclude the war one way or another. David Stevenson writes, The Germans remained the pace-setters. During the war they released 52,000 tonnes of poison gas. Their usage rising tenfold between 1915 and 1917, nearly doubling again in 1918. In comparison, France raised 26,000 tonnes, Britain 14,000, Austria-Hungary 7,900, Italy 6,300, Russia 4,700, and the USA 1,000. 70% of the British, French and German gas casualties occurred in 1918, but Germany's uh, total for the year of 70,000 killed and wounded, was much less uh, than for its uh, opponents. Britain, 114,000. France, 110,000. And the remarkably high US figure of 75,700. Between July 1917 and June 1918, the Germans alone could mass-produce mustard gas, and this was symptomatic of their leading chemical warfare, based on the larger and more diversified pre-1914 chemical industry than any of their opponents except the united states so this is indeed the case now if you uh, ever read the um the brilliant book uh, um hell's cartel by Dermot Jeffries, it's a a history of um the uh chemical cartel ig farben um and their their involvement in the holocaust uh, their complicity in the holocaust um but it's also kind of an in um an, a history of uh germany's chemical industry and the development of um, uh, chemicals um, as a kind of a key part of German industrialism, uh, which um, outstripped Great Britain until early the 1920s uh, and the establishment of Imperial Chemical Industries, ICI, um, I- ironically uh, the, the product of two German companies. Eric von Ludendorff was a key proponent of gas warfare and quite an enthusiast for it um, and he had uh, relations, he had good contacts with uh, Fritz Haber who was the head of the Kaiser Wilhelm Research Institute in Berlin later one of the, the IG Farben kind of a, um, uh, most significant figures in IG Farben um, and um, Ludendorff uh, didn't really need much persuading uh, in the efficacy of gas as as a battlefield uh, battlefield weapon. Gas could be uh, discharged from cylinders via shells um, from a projector, which was a, a type of uh, light mortar. Um, uh, the British introduced the the Levens projector in April nineteen seventeen, and the Germans copied it. Um, making uh, gas artillery uh, more mobile, more uh, more flexible as as a weapon. Um, German um, projectors uh, particularly did a lot of harm at the Battle of Caporetto, uh, where Italian gas faulty Italian gas masks rendered them uh, basically uh, useless. On the Western Front, though, um, the German projector was much more accurate than the Allied one, and longer than the, um, the, the, the British Liban's projector. Um, and so its projectile um, could carry uh, less of the gas, um, which was... Um, uh, for, in order to achieve fatal concentrations. But this in itself had a kind of a battlefield use. If you killed, um, say, five soldiers... Then um, that was that's five soldiers after the picture. If you poison five soldiers, another number of soldiers are required to remove them from the battlefield, um, or you have the possibility of potentially uh, poisoning and incapacitating more than say five soldiers. So uh, actually, wounding as a, as a tool is more useful the actual fatalities, because often the uh, gas victims were so badly hard, badly uh, injured uh, by the gas that they weren't going to be returning to the battlefield, uh, perhaps, uh, perhaps at any point. The Germans, after June nineteen eighteen, abandoned the projectors and uh, returned to um, artillery shells. Shells, in the view of the German high command. Better because they required, uh, they they were less reliant on the wind blowing in in the right direction, Uh, and they were used as a counter battery weapon um, that required less accuracy than high explosive because obviously you're creating a cloud of gas uh, as opposed to pinpointing artillery positions with, with high explosive shells. Germans had three different colours of gas. They had um, uh, yellow mustard gas, uh, green diphosgene gas, and the blue gas, uh, an arsenic-based agent um, that uh, and a, a dye that would uh, kind of irritate the nose and throat, forcing the enemy soldiers to remove their masks and thus exposing them to a kind of lethal nerve agents. The, this was referred to as the German Colour Cross system, um, and it was uh, very complex. The uh, German frontline troops were often unaware of which gas was which and what they were being used for, and so often this was used um, uh, sparingly, uh, and was a kind of a device for major set piece uh, battles. Um the Blue Cross device, um once it were the, the the blue gas known as Blue Cross, um once um the Allies realized uh, the trick once they uh, told the soldiers, No it doesn't matter if your skin becomes irritated, keep your mask on. In many cases, um the the Blue Cross uh, gas didn't work. Um often The uh, explosive charge within the shell that would launch the the gas into the atmosphere uh, once the shell had exploded wasn't powerful enough really to pulverise the various substances finely enough for it to be inhaled. Millions of uh, Blue Cross shells that the Germans manufactured uh, turned out to be um, a waste of resources. Um, the diphosgene uh, gas was uh, very very effective very very deadly much more deadly than chlorine gas uh, mustard gas was uh, a blistering agent that attacked the skin particularly where it was moist the eyes producing intense pain and temporary blindness although it was rarely lethal in the first instance it might disable victims um, permanently particularly if it was inhaled causing terrible uh, damage to the lungs Um, In 1918, the Germans added a charge of high-explosive to the mustard shells uh, in order to reduce the the warning time uh, by eliminating the the distinctive kind of plopping noise when the shell detonated. Um, So uh, by doing this, they reduced how much gas the shell could carry, uh, and by scattering the gas more widely, they reduced its concentration. However... Neither gas masks nor anything else, um, nor any other kind of protection, was much use against mustard gas. Uh, It would stay in the air for days um, and even weeks in cold and dry conditions. Um, It contaminated the ground, it drenched, um, and it couldn't be fired in front of infantry. So if you were uh, leading an infantry charge and you wanted to uh, disable your enemy, you couldn't use it because your infantry would march straight into it because it sits still in the air. Um, but it could be used to seal off the flanks of an attack. Um, so if you're being attacked by uh, from uh, one side or the other, you can create essentially a wall of mustard gas to protect your uh, your flank, protect your rear. Um, and the less uh, useful blue and green gases. Um, could be used um, straight ahead of your army um, because they responded uh, in fundamentally different ways. Um, so, in a way, once the British worked out what the blue, the green, and the yellow gases were for, they could plot what it was. The uh, German generals were, sure were giving big, sort of colour coded visual signifiers to what they intended. So, you know, once you um, crack the code, it was uh, a giveaway in, in 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 some regards. The biggest German success with gas came in um, uh, along the Chemin du um uh, on the twenty seventh of May, nineteen eighteen. Um, up to fifty percent of the munitions that were fired were chemical. Um, this was the highest proportion. Uh, in any of the offensives of the war. Uh, They smothered the Allied artillery um, and uh, terrified the infantry. Uh, A favourable wind drove the cloud on ahead. So that in itself is an extraordinary statistic. If you think about all the battles of the war, all the artillery poundings uh, that took place, uh, this one battle, 50% of all munitions fired by Germany were chemical weapons were were, were gas shells, um, it shows you how the the level of faith that Ludendorff was placing on gas at that particular uh, during that particular wave of the last offensives of the war, uh, in order to break through uh, Allied lines. Um, the uh, initial victory um, owed much to to gas, uh, at least. Um, This helped to scatter the the Portuguese um, Allied army. Um, Mustard gas was also used intensively at this battle, producing lines of blinded Allied servicemen uh, at casualty clearing stations. Um, And the uh, mustard gas bombardments um, followed the Allies um, throughout this campaign, uh, forcing them to abandon several key positions, particularly Armentier, The the kind of the iconic image of the war, when it comes to the use of poison gas, is the painting "Gassed" by John Singer Sargent, um, which you can see uh, at the special collections at the Imperial War Museum. It's a, a magnificent uh, piece of work um, that shows a line of Allied soldiers um, marching towards a a casualty clearing station. In the background, it's a fascinating painting because in the background. You can see the Allied soldiers, um, nonchalantly playing football, writing letters, having a smoke—that that, that kind of thing. British soldiers, they were. as if the the horrific scene of blinded men um, uh, holding, hanging on, hanging onto each other's shoulders, um, was a kind of a, a piece of the everyday. You know, nothing particularly remarkable. Which, on the, obviously, the kind of the truth that the painting tries to tell is that that is indeed the case. Um, and that um, these things were kind of part of the uh, everyday towards the the end of the war. David Stevenson writes, The most important Allied countermeasures were defensive. The French by 1918 had replaced their hopelessly deficient M2 respirator with the ARC, um, which, however, was still outmatched by the British uh, SBR small box respirator, the best design of the war. In addition, the British Special Brigades, led by Charles Foulkes, the BEF British Expeditionary Force's Director of Gas Services, attacked the Germans using cylinders and livens projectors, uh, of which the British Expeditionary Force had 200,000 by uh, March 1918. German troops much feared the latter, as prisoner testimony confirmed. For only 25 seconds after the warning, ignition flash, the, descend, uh, the descending canisters would fill the trenches with lethal concentrations. These, however, were harassing attacks, conducted in quiet sectors between the main battles, often against units that were resting. In the battles themselves, while on the defensive, the Allies could mount a few big counter-attacks, nor could they counter mustard with mustard, Although they quickly identified the substance the Germans were using, the British took much longer to evolve a cheap and efficient method of mass-producing it. Clemenceau made it a matter of the highest priority, and the French first used mustard gas in June 1918. The British, not until September. Hence, a deci- defensive weapon par excellence was unavailable to the Allies in their greatest need, while the, the tens of thousands of casualties reaped by German mustard gas, exacerbated their manpower crisis. Now, again, this tells uh, an interesting story about the last year of the war. Um, As David Stevenson points out there, um, as far as the Germans were concerned, mustard gas was a defensive weapon. It created a, a huge toxic barrier that forced enemy soldiers to retreat or kept enemy soldiers from advancing. The British and the French, in the first half of 1918, are flung back by uh, the, the various Ludendorff Spring offensives, Blucher uh, 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 York, Michael, uh, and so on and so forth. Um, and they uh, throughout most of the year, we were desperately in need of the kind of device like mustard gas, that would simply have stopped the German army as sufficient amounts of mustard gas, hideous though it is to say, certainly would have done. The um, uh, manpower crisis that the Allies faced um, was uh, there and present. Uh, The uh, the whole kind of uh, benefit of having uh, American servicemen turning up in Europe was that they were going to address uh, the exhaustion of the Allied armies, um, the uh, huge numbers of prisoners taken during the spring offensive, and the gradual attrition uh, of the, the, the strength of uh, of Allied armies towards the end of the year. When when Allied uh, armies went forward in the last uh, few months of the war, last three or four months of the war, um, they faced an enemy uh, that still possessed large quantities of gas. The Germans experienced some shortages in the summer of 1918, but not of mustard gas. And uh, only until the final weeks did the supplies of mustard gas break down, um, when uh, and the German color coding system broke down as the German army descended into chaos. Uh, as the German army retreated, they fired off the the uh, the blue uh, cross gas, which didn't do very much, um, and the uh, yellow mustard gas, which um, uh, did. A significant amount, uh, particularly at the, for example, at the Battle of Albert on the twenty-first to the twenty-third of August, um, that uh, led to some of the highest British casualties uh, ever. Uh, the Allies uh, on the move had placed Germany in a position of such acute desperation that they were willing to go uh, to to bet the house on gas, basically. Uh, and to cause as much uh, loss of life and as much bloodshed as possible, in order to slow the Allied advance down in, in any way. Um, the uh, Allied armies on the move are in a kind of a slightly more vulnerable position. Uh, armies moving at um, a, a fairly rapid pace um, often have fewer defensive positions to hide behind. Um, when uh, uh, weapons like gas are moved, used against them. Um, the um, sense that the British had was that the Germans were disposing of um, their remaining stocks of gas, uh, using as much of it as, as, as possible. Um, and finally, by the final weeks of the war, um, the danger um, from gas gradually declined though uh, the american uh, american um, injuries from gas american casualties from gas were enormously high the final view of uh, the british was that despite all the bloodshed from gas despite all the losses from gas it still didn't particularly slow down the, the allied advance and perhaps this this shows the kind of the inevitability of the, uh, the, the the downfall of Germany at, at the end of the war. Um, Britain and France didn't uh, mass-produce um, gas before the war. Um, the British managed to raise their chlorine production tenfold by 1918, um, and with phosgene gas particularly, uh, the French did significantly uh, bigger numbers than that. The British never really had enough phosgene, but the French supplied it to them, and the British Expeditionary Force used a gas called chloropycerin, which was uh, significantly uh, less deadly than phosgene and than uh, mustard gas. Uh, By 1918, uh, for the first time, the British had gas shells in quantities uh, and varieties uh, that were needed. Um, The weather and the situation Became the main obstacles, the the way in which the wind blew, and as mentioned, uh, the the difficulties uh, of an army on the move being able to kind of uh, adopt uh, and manage to find themselves defensive uh, positions. Um, the Allies never discharged mustard gas um, on the quantities that the the in the quantities that the the, the Germans did. And by 1918, uh, the the German gas mask was starting to reach uh, some significant problems. The Germany was running out of the rubber that was needed for the valves. And the fabric uh, then had to be substituted with leather, which was much less uh, effective. Um, the mask uh, generally became useless if it was worn for more than a few hours the British um, SBR small box respirator uh, had no problems in that regard and could be worn for quite a long time. And there's clear evidence that um, by the summer of 1918, um, the British Expeditionary Force is using poison gas in a highly uh, uh, battlefield-effective manner, for example. At the Battle of Hamel on the 4th of July... British um, howitzers fired over twenty-five thousand gas shells in the morning, um, which managed to silence Germany's batteries and created a, a barrier uh, against a counterattack, much as the Germans had done with uh, mustard gas. Um, while the special brigades, the British Expeditionary Force special brigades, used Levens projectors uh, against the German guns. On the uh, adjoining heights, on the uh, on, on the the kind of the high ground uh, nearby, the French uh, used uh, gas shells uh, before um, the counterattack at villiers cotterets uh, on the 18th of July, and on the 8th of August, both the British and French forces used them at the Battle of Amiens, uh, which was um, referred to as the Black Day. For the German army, the Battle of Amiens is the 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 point at which um, Ludendorff and Hindenburg tell the Kaiser that the jig is up and the war the war is basically uh, lost. Um, so we'll hopefully look at this um, in a little bit more depth in, in the future. It's a, a kind of a particularly repugnant uh, topic area. But then again, if you compare the effect of mass artillery um, and the other various means of destruction during the war, um, gas is uh, you know, no better and no worse, really. Um, the experience of gas during the war had a long, um, particularly psychological, hold on uh, British uh, and uh, German and French uh, psyches uh, through the interwar years, there was a the, the terror that the British had was that gas would be dropped on British cities in the outbreak of another war with Germany and gas um, as a weapon of mass destruction um, has been a kind of a key part of uh, various treaties and um, various kind of arms limitation as um, uh, talks and various um, conventions on uh, the legalities of warfare. But it's worth remembering, of course, that artillery killed vastly more soldiers than gas ever managed during the war. Anyway, thanks very much, and I'll catch you on the next Explaining History podcast in these strange and turbulent and peculiar times. Do check us out on the Explaining History uh, Patreon page. Uh, There's always extra content there for subscribers, uh, and I'll see you all soon. Thanks very much. All the best. Bye bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more